Good morning. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you just for the time together here. Thank you for the wonderful music that we have enjoyed. But Father, it wasn't for our enjoyment, it was for your ears. And we're here to worship you and to praise you and to humble ourselves before you. We pray that you just open our hearts to your truth. Pray that your life would be radically seen in us. And we pray that you would transform us uh, by the mighty power and love of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, welcome. It's uh, good to be here. Uh, this is my second time, so uh, appreciate the opportunity to uh, join with you. It's, it's just a great privilege. Today we're going to talk about uh, simply uh, displaying the love of God, the agape love of God, the unilateral, one-way love of God, and I hope that will make more sense as we spend our moments together. I personally like tiny, neat little packages. I like life to fit into certain pigeonholes. And uh, unfortunately, when I read 1 John, it, it dislodges me from my nice, neat little tiny places. I'm uncomfortable uh, sometimes as I read uh, this book. This book challenges me to the core. When we started talking about this last summer, uh, I just said, you know, I, I struggle with this book because it uh, it's really close to the heart of the matter. And uh, Beth and I, my wife and I, uh, she was here in the first service, uh, have enjoyed, enjoyed <laughs> lots of moments, lots of discussions, lots of conversations about the difficulties of this single book. Oftentimes when uh, uh, students, Greek students study Greek, they will start either with the book of Revelation or John or 1 John because the Greek is very simple, but the concepts are just mind-boggling. And uh, she will ask me questions and I will try to explain them, and I, I sometimes have trouble explaining them. And to be honest with you, sometimes I can't explain them. It's nice to know that we don't have to know everything. And, it, and that's okay. However, throughout the book, the theme of blessed assurance is just seen throughout. Uh, 1 John 5, 11, and 12, memorized that a long time ago as a navigator at CSU, Colorado State University, just about the time electricity was invented. And um, this is the record that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God uh, does not have life. So period. I mean, if you know Christ, if you've trusted Christ, you have life. And if you don't, you don't. It's like being pregnant or not. You either are or you aren't. Uh, the thing is, with Christ, you don't get over it. In pregnancy, you kind of do. So, but there's a subtle and maybe not so subtle theme that runs through the book, through these five chapters. And it's a portrait of the struggle between the two natures, between the Christian life and, and our old life. And uh, as we struggle between love and hate, I, maybe you don't, but there's times that uh, sometimes drivers will actually just kind of make me angry. And, uh, or you know, somebody will cut me off, or my wife will say something that just ticks me off. And I don't necessarily respond with a copy of love. 
And of course, you look at it and be like, what are you talking about, Tinkle? That's not true in our house. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, uh, but there's a struggle. There's a struggle between light and darkness. There is a struggle between love and hate. Uh, there is a struggle between serving the Lord of life. And the last verse of the Bible, of this, of this book says, um, avoid idols. Why? Because God is life. And the last part of the book deals with the fact that God is life. And we need to enjoy him in life rather than the empty idols that we set up uh, in this world. Success. Well, first place trophies. What are some other things we set up in life that are idols? Bigger toys. You know the old adage, uh, men are just boys with bigger toys. But everybody, you know, if your neighbor gets a big honking truck, you've got to get one that's a bigger honking truck. You know, we have to keep up with the Joneses. Those are idols. And we're not serving the things of this world. We're serving the God who made this world. But those are the struggles. Uh, better bodies. I'm going to be best at, and you fill in the blank. Win the Stanley Cup. Oh, I guess that's, they don't do that in high school. They do that. Do they have a cup? They don't. What's wrong with the state of Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but these struggles reflect our reality. And to be honest with you, these realities bother me. They really bother me. Because I want to be, I want to be good, I want to be right. I want to please God, most of the time. And you're the same. So, I don't always walk in the light as I should. I don't always love as I should. I'm too often swayed by the siren songs of the idolatrous things that we set up. A few weeks ago, Dan talked about uh, the gods of antiquity, the gods of and your father served on the other side of the Jordan, or the gods of modernity, the gods of the people in compliance as well, or the god of eternity. And we want to serve the god of eternity. Well, the Apostle Paul spoke to the struggle between these natures in Galatians, chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you will not, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. That's that's a reality. I sense it, you've sensed it. And sometimes I do really well. And sometimes I stinketh. I'm like Lazarus, I've been in the grave too long. So, uh, these are the challenges that we face. Romans chapter 7 uh, also describes uh, the frustration of the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. And as I read Romans 7, I'm thinking, yeah, Paul, Paul knows my life. Romans chapter 7, verse 22. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And I love the next verse. I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I serve the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. 
and flesh wrestles against spirit, and spirit against flesh. There's a part of us that cannot sin. Our born-again part cannot sin. But there's a part of us that cannot do righteousness, and that's called the flesh. And these two are contrary to one another. And uh, then, in, in relationship to that, the, uh, the text also today uh, talks a little bit about the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm, I'm thankful and uh, somewhat uh, challenged by all this. But 1 John 2, uh, verse 8. 1 John 2, verse 8 through chapter 3, uh, uh, verse 3. I had this marked and I moved my marker. But First uh, John chapter uh, 2, verse 8. Verse 28, excuse me. And now, little children, abide in him. And this idea of abiding is a theme that runs through the book. The Lord wants us to abide in him. He wants us to live with him. He wants us to dwell with him. Abide in him that when he appears, we have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, uh, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, but there is, there's a time when we're going to stand before Christ. Now, let me make abundantly clear. There's the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, and there's the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is for those who don't know Christ. And for them, the books will be open. And another book is going to be open in the book of life. And uh, if anybody's not found written in the book of life, God's going to turn to the other book and say, all right, let's, let's see what you did. And it's not going to be pretty. But for believers... When Christ died at the cross, he said, it's finished. The Greek term is to tell us that it means paid in full. When he died for our sin, he paid for it all. But what the Lord's going to do at the judgment seat, our sin will not appear there, because it's paid. Uh, the, the hymn, uh, my sin's been nailed to the cross, I bear it no more. Bless God, bless God, oh my soul. My sin not in part. But the Lord will ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? He's given all of us gifts if we're believers. He's given us spiritual gifts. He's given us natural talents. He's going to say, what did you do with what I've given you? Your time, your talent, and your treasure. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says that some people will stand there and all of their works will be burned up. They're going to smell a lot like smoke. But it says they will be saved, get so as through fire. So the Lord's going to test our works. And that's a, that's part of what bothers me about this book, is it reminds me that my life, I'm accountable to Christ for my life. And I want my life to count, and I want it to count well. Uh, and uh, 2 Corinthians 5.1, uh, uh, excuse me, it should be 5.10, uh, Paul says, but we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, and each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 
10 to 17, and, and I've already alluded to that. We're not going to go through it. That's another whole subject for another full time. But this is the theme that runs through the book of First John. And the Lord wants us, our lives to count. Years ago, when I was living in Holyoke, I was pastoring out there. Uh, the city councilman died who was a believer. And one of my friends came to me and said, Gordon, you ought to get on the city council. And without thinking, my response was, I don't want to spend my life. I want to invest it. Now, some people are made to do that. Bless the Lord for them and thank the Lord for them. But I'm not one of them. But it just made me think, I want, that's what I want to do. I want my life to count. You want your life to count. When all everything is said and done, all of the trophies are going to be at the landfill or they're going to be incinerated. Uh, everything that we thought was so important is going to be done. What we'll have left is Jesus Christ and what we and our service to him. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So, so now we're going to talk about the great challenge, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. First uh, John 4, 7, and 8 uses the word agape love. It uses it over and over again. And uh, let me read this. Beloved, let us love one another. Any of you can sing that little ditty from years ago? Would you like to sing it for us? No. <laughs> I thought about doing it, but no, I'm not going to do it either. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that does not love does not know God, for God is love. And that verse bothers me, because there's times that my life is not reflective of the love of God. And it's true of you too, isn't it? Yeah. And that's why I say this book just upsets my categories. And uh, there are three words in the New Testament, four in the Greek language about love. Eros deals with erotic love, marriage love kind of thing. There is a, a second word, and I think it's up there on the screen, if I'm not mistaken. It should be up there. <coughs> uh, storgos, which is a, a kind of a brotherly love, but it's always used, that word is always used with a, another word to make it a compound word. It's only used twice in the New Testament. Uh, brotherly love, brotherly kindness. And then phileo, or Philadelphia love. The city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And it comes from this Greek word. And this word is used frequently in the New Testament, and then there's agape love, which is unilateral, one-way love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That's, that's agape love. It's a love God says, I'm going to love you even if you don't love me back. A little girl was playing with her dolls, and she said, Mommy, I love my dolls, but they just never love me back. And I thought, that's a good statement. And, uh, but, but that's agape love. I'm going to love you even if you don't love me back. And so, uh, John 3.16 is agape love, one-way love, unilateral love. I will love you even if you don't love me in return. Now, what we see most in our culture is Philadelphia love. Uh, I'm going to see the other ones too, but we see Philadelphia love. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You're good to me, I'll be good to you. That's not, that's not the highest level of love. In John chapter 21, we have a great illustration of these two words. Uh, Peter said, I go fishing, and the other disciples said, we go too. That's a literal translation. I go fishing, we go too. So they're out there fishing, didn't catch a thing, and then Jesus came and said, why don't you throw your head on the other side of the boat? Huh? And they caught a bunch, 153. And uh, so then there was this conversation between Jesus and Peter. 
So when he'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Probably more than these other disciples. And Simon is the one that said, No, Lord, even if they de deny you, I will never deny you. And he denied him three times. And you'll notice in this account there are three questions. I think every time Jesus asked a question, he was driving it home. Peter, you failed me. But he also said, Peter, when you return, strengthen your brother. He told him that the night that he was going to be betrayed. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than me? Do you agape me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you with a brotherly love. He didn't use the same word. So Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I phileo you. I don't love you. I love you as a brother of love, but not that kind of love that you're talking about. And so he said, Tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And when Jesus asked him the third time, he said, Peter, do you love me with a Philadelphia love? And Peter said, Yes, Lord. He was grieved. He said, Yes. I'm going to be with the Philadelphia love. And he said, be my sheep. So here is an interchange between two different kinds of love. And as we read it in English, all we see is love, 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 love. But in Greek, it's, it's far different. So in 1 John, the challenge is to us, the great challenge, well, let me, let me show you this quote first. Just read it, but it's okay. If you want to get me angry, just say something about those people. We had a Hispanic congregation in our, in our, as part of our congregation in Polio. One of the men in the church said those people, and I said, stop it right there. They are not those people. They are us. But this agape love puts them all away. So here is the measure of God's love. First John 4. Seven and eight. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Is born and knows. He does not love God, does not know God, for God is love. Let's say they're not born of God, but it says that they don't know God. So this this is agape love. This is the kind of love that says, I will love you, even if you don't sing first John 4, 7 and 8. I will love you anyway, in spite of that, and I will. Uh, it's the kind of love that says, I will care for you, I will love you, even if you never reciprocate. That's the kind of love that God has for us. And I'm thankful that our salvation does not depend on our love to God, our obedience to God. It depends on the finished work of Christ. So, uh, so that's, that's the, the kind of love that uh, the Lord wants us to uh, to have. When I was pastoring in Dallas and in seminary, I went to a pastor's conference, and a guy named Chuck Taylor was preaching at the uh, pastor's conference. We'd meet every Monday, and it was kind of a lifeline. You'd get together on Monday after Sunday, and uh, you just need to be encouraged. 
this guy told part of the story. He said, I grew up in a very segregationist home. And my dad did not like black people. And I, as a consequence, didn't like black people. Then when I was 11, we went to a local medicine show. And while I was there on my bicycle, these three black guys came up. He said, I was 11, they were 16 or 17, there were three of them. I had two of my buddies with me. As soon as these three guys showed up, my buddies took off. They didn't even show Philadelphia one. They just took off. And Chuck said, if you want my bicycle, you're going to have to walk over me to get it. And they walked over and got it. And all that did was drive that, that hatred and that bitterness deeper into his soul. Well, later on in life, he was working in the oil patch. And while he was there, he came to know Christ. Then he was drafted. Went into the army. And while in the army, uh, he contracted, in, in Vietnam, he contracted malaria. Really bad case of malaria. The medics would come in every four hours and bring a new mattress because they were pouring quinine down him. And he was perspiring so profusely that they had to change the mattress every four hours because he soaked it. And then pour some more quinine down. And he was laying there, he said, the Protestant chaplain didn't come, the Catholic chaplain didn't come, Jewish rabbi didn't come. Nobody came. And uh, he's laying there one day in the fog, and all of a sudden he heard a voice. Hey, man. He looked up. There was a black guy standing over him. He said, hey, man, you're really sick. And Chuck said, he's not telling me anything I don't know. And he said, if I could have raised up on one arm, I would have slipped it. But he said, I would like to read scripture and pray with you. Can I do that? And it broke his heart. And the next day, he had begun to improve a little bit. The next day, he was still laying there pretty much in the fog. And he, uh, he heard the voice, hey, man. And he looked up, looked up, and there were two guys this day. And he said, uh, we're here to read scripture and pray for you. And this is your brother in Christ. And so they prayed together. Radically changed his, his heart. And he was preaching this in Dallas, Texas. And that was not really a popular message in Dallas, Texas in 1980. Um, but the thing about Christ is, when we're in Christ, there's no color. And these two guys demonstrated agape love and radically altered his life. That's the kind of love that the Lord tells us. Beloved, let us love one another. That's a hortatory subjunctive, which means let's get after it. Let's do it. Let's love one another. For God is love, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He does not love, does not know God, for God is love. So, uh, it's a great, great challenge to really love the way Christ loves, to really love the way God loves, to give ourselves away without expecting anything in return. That's just not the way the world works. But that's the way God works. That's the way Christ is. And that's the way we should be. Then, um, let's move on, on down to the next verse. Uh, and this is First uh, John uh, for nine. In 
this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. That we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to propitiation for our sins. So here's God. He's saying, I'm going to love you. I'm going to demonstrate that love. I'm going to prove my love. Whether you respond or not, I'm going to prove my love to you. And it says that he is the propitiation for our sin. This is a word that is Pastor Dan had a while back, and it's a, it's a mouthful. <laughs> As a matter of fact, uh, we were teaching our Awana kids years ago some of the key words of Scripture, justification, uh, redemption, and so on, and propitiation. And afterwards, the associate pastor's wife at our church came up to me and said, these kids can't get this stuff. They can't understand this stuff. Well, here's what I did with propitiation. We have a picture behind us of an umbrella. Now, why does one use an umbrella on a day like this? Keep the rain on. And if you notice, the house is not getting wet. Propitiation, is, it comes from, I'll ask of my group of words, and it simply means uh, to avert wrath. It was also used to, for the seat on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies where they sprinkled the blood. It was the place of covering. And when we come to Christ, we get under his umbrella. And if you look at John chapter uh, uh, chapter 3, uh, and I don't have it on the screen. I don't hear too many pages turning, but I do hear fingers on the phone. John chapter 3, verse 36. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. That's a great promise. He who places the faith in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So think about the world. The world is a place where God's wrath is being poured out. But for those of us who know Jesus Christ, the wrath of God hits the umbrella of Christ's propitiation. And we will never experience the wrath of God. Christ did it. When he was on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? Because God was pouring out his wrath on Jesus Christ. I can't understand all that happened on the cross. And all that happened for the only time in all eternity, the fellowship between the Father and the Son was broken because Jesus was bearing the sin of the world so that we would not have to. So when we come to Christ, he is our mercy seat. And when the wrath of God falls, it never falls on us. But it still falls on those who are around us. So um, 1 John 2.2 2 is uh, another passage in, in, in 1 John that deals with this same issue. 1 John 2.2 2 says, And he himself is the propitiation, the umbrella, the mercy seat for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. But only when we come to Christ. Only when we recognize that Jesus Christ died for my sin, according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised again the third day, according to the scripture, that he was seen first by Cephas, then by the eleven, then by over 500 brethren at once. And Paul said, and last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due season. Paul was prematurely born. He came to Christ in a very unusual way. But only when people believe that and know the facts that Christ died for me, was buried, raised again, and was seen alive, 
We can know the facts, but we have to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Some of you may be here today. You may be on church for a long time. I'd gone for 17 and a half years before I came to know Jesus. And I left church. So there was a break in there because I was so fed up with what I saw. You need to trust Christ. You need to say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I want you to change my life and transform me and make my life more good. And you will do it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, he is propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the whole world. And people need to respond to his overtures and invitation. I don't understand how it all works, but I know we proclaim the Spirit works and people respond. That's what happened to me. So, um, years ago, give you an illustration of the copy of life. Back, back in the day, Indira Gandhi was the head of India. Golda Meir was the head of Israel, Prime Minister. And Bendra Nike of Ceylon was the head of Ceylon, now Sri Lanka. And she became Prime Minister not by election, but her husband was assassinated by, of all people, a, a Buddhist monk. One of my friends was in Ceylon at the time. He remembers the events. And the monk was caught red-handed. He was tried and sentenced to death. Well, the, the Prime Minister of Ceylon was executed, that was assassinated, had a pastor as a, as, a, as a close friend. And the pastor went to the prison. And he saw the monk and he said, uh, how are you doing? He said, I'm terrible. I feel terrible. I acted contrary to everything I ever believed and taught. Well, you know, without Christ, we're, we're not going to be good. And, he, and so the pastor to walk in his witness said, all right, how is Buddhism helping you? He said, it doesn't, it cannot. He says, it cannot forgive you? He said, absolutely not. He said, would you like to meet somebody who could? He said, there's nobody that can forgive a sin like this. Nobody can forgive a murderer. He said, well, you know, God raised up his chosen people, and from his chosen people, he brought his chosen seed. His name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ died for your sin, and he, he offers you forgiveness and new life. And he said, that's impossible. He said, no, it's very possible. He said, can he forgive a murderer? He said, yes, he can forgive a murderer. Even can forgive a murderer. And then the monk said, but can you forgive me? The prime minister was your friend. And the pastor said, if Christ forgave can forgive you, I can forgive you. So he said, would you like to trust Christ? And so the preacher and the monk knelt together in a death row cell in Ceylon. And two believers rose from the ground. He gave the monk a New Testament a Bible and said, read, read especially the four gospels. Before long he said, I want to be baptized. So he was baptized as a believer. And my brother who shared this story with me was a Methodist pastor. He said, it was probably a good old-fashioned Methodist baptism. <laughs> but I baptized people in mercy before, and I did immerse them. And it worked. It was good. At any rate, this guy was baptized. On the day of his execution, all the newspapers in Salem read, Buddhist monk dies a Christian because Jesus forgives and Buddhism does not. 
and my friend would do so honorably. My friends, we have a great Savior who is the covering for our sin. He is our mercy seat. And what a what a great uh, what a great position we occupy as believers. And if you're not a believer, you need to become one. Talk with us. Afterwards, there's a number of pastors here, a number of key key leaders here. Talk with them after the service if you have questions. And then, uh, verse 11. Uh, well, here's verse John 3, 36 that I have on the screen. But here is uh, the next one, that we are to follow the leader. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is where it just gets too convicting. If Christ loved me with that kind of love, we're to love one another with that kind of love. Even when people are not kind or, or do not uh, care for us, we need to love. Whether it's at work or in the home, and we, we need to love. As Christ loved. Not you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. But I'm going to love you even if you won't scratch my back. I'm going to demonstrate the love of Christ to you. So we're to follow the way. Well, what's God like? Well, God is patient. Love is patient, love is kind, First Corinthians 13. He's forgiving. You know, at times, we just don't want to forgive. Do we? we want to hang on. We want to be better. Oh, they did something to me. That guy said, you know, whenever my wife and I have an argument, she gets historical. And his friend said, don't you mean hysterical? I said, no, historical. She brings up everything I ever did wrong. <laughs> well, that's what we want to do. And there's sometimes, and I do a lot of conflict resolution with, with churches, with individuals, and so on. And uh, I would just say, if you are bitter, uh, being bitter is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person so we are to uh, forgive as Christ forgive. A number, a number of years ago, I was out in California and I was taking some, some coursework. And we went to a church plant and they were talking about forgiveness. I actually gave the guy some good illustrations. They used them in the second service. But he said, if you have some issues in your life and you've not dealt with them, people that you've not forgiven, write their names down on the three by five card and they have shredders set up across the front of the church. And you know, when I put those things in the shredder, it really felt good. But it was free. And even now, sometimes things come up, I remember things, and I just have to stop and pray, Lord Jesus, help me to forgive as you would forgive, and help me to love them as you would love them. Uh, so, we follow the leader. He's caring. Think about Christ. The leper came to him and said, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And what did Jesus do? He said, I'm willing, and he reached out his hand and touched him. And the leper was untouchable. But he touched him. Probably the first human touch he had experienced in years. Uh, we don't want to go that far. Well, Jesus did. Or the woman at the well. He 
kiss her. He did not disrespect her. His disciples couldn't believe he was talking to her. But he had an appointment for, for her because he was soon going to die and cover his sin. And the whole village came and they all came to Christ. When Christ was on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's a godly love. That's a godly love. Well, and then the last, the last, oh, I need to let you read this quote, sorry. This is from C.S. Lewis. I'll just let you read it. Well, I'll read it. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a safe in the casket or a coffin of your selfishness. Next slide. But in that casket, safe, dark, and motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will not become unbreakable. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. So when we love, it'll hurt. People will blow it. I will blow it. You will blow it. But God's love goes beyond that. And we follow him. And lastly, we want to uh, unveil the love of God. Uh, unveil uh, our, our relationship with God. So as uh, an intimate abiding relationship with God reflects a godly love. Look at verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. Well, that's true. And then all of a sudden this other thing is just stuck in there. And it's not by accident. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. So what will happen? As we love one another, even though people cannot see Jesus, they can see Jesus in us. They can see the love of God in us. They can see the work of Christ in us. If we genuinely love one another. And I'm telling you, our, our Christian culture in America today is a wreck. It's a mess. And we have forgotten this. <laughs> to love one another sacrificially. Without hope of return. Rather than being divided along all of these lines that divide us. We're here to make known Jesus Christ. To make known his love. To make known his character. As we love as Jesus loves, people will see that love in us and they will see Christ. So an, an intimate abiding relationship with God reflects agape love. It perfects agape love in us. It displays the character of God to a watching world. A number of years ago, a friend of mine said uh, Gordon, first off, he said, is it easy to pastor this church? Can you pastor this church with joy? Hebrews uh, 13, 17. I said, no, it's a mixed bag. A few weeks later, he came to me and he said, Gordon, do you love these people? That was my response. I was cut to the quick. 
These people were not easy to love. These people were not wonderful. As a result, I didn't love as I should. That's why this book bothers me. Because I know <coughs> But praise God, I'm under the umbrella. And you think about it, if God is up here, and you're down here, and your friends are over here, or your acquaintances, your neighbors, your co-workers, the closer we draw to God, the shorter the distance between one another. So we start up down here, but we grow towards God, we grow towards one another. So, as you think about the message today, what are some areas in your life where you don't demonstrate this kind of love? Co-workers, you love them even if they're obstinate and hard, crass, your spouse. And some friends, they said, no, we come to church, we fight like cats and dogs, when we get to the church, we get out of the car and we all smile. There's a word for that. It's called hypocrisy. It's probably called Christianity. <laughs> but... Um, Casting Crowns years ago had a song and some of the words were plastic people living under plastic steeples. And my friends, the world doesn't need to see that. They see plenty of that. They need to see Christ in us, the hope of glory. They need to see Christ lived out in us, in our homes, with our children. If God ever wanted to get to me, it was either a broken car or my kids. And uh, and our kids need to have that kind of love for their parents and for their classmates. But where is it that you're struggling to love people? This week we need to say, Lord Jesus, give me heaven's love for these hungry people. Because that's precisely what God did when he gave Jesus Christ. And that's what he calls us to do. Well, it's wonderful today because we get to experience the Lord's table. And this is a great message to lead into that because it gives us time to reflect on our lives. Now, the Lord's table is for believers only. If you're not a believer, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please don't partake. Uh, this is only for believers. And, and you can trust Christ. That's not a big deal. It's a, it's a big deal. You can handle it. But if you've never trusted Christ, please don't partake. This is for believers only. But if you do partake, the scripture says we're not to partake in an unworthy manner. So before you come, spend a few moments and just say, you know, Lord, you have spoken to me today about my own life, about my own heart, about my own hardness. Deal with what's in your heart before you come and take the elements. And then when you take them, please take them back to your seat and hold them, and we will all partake together at one time. So Chris is going to come and play for us, and uh, let's make this a holy time. And as I reflect on the word myself, I've got a lot of work to do in my life, and I want the Lord to change me, to make me more like Christ, to make me more like the Father, to love, Sacrificially, unilaterally, for the people of the day. So just spend some time preparing your heart, and then we will take together in a few moments.
And when you're ready, come and grab your elements and you can go back to your seat.
Peter's eleven. Verse 23. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. But the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take me, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That was the coming world of Christ. He went to the cross. Even an old Puritan said, but God bought us, but he never got his money's worth. And that's true. But it was the love of the Father, and the love of the Son, and the love of the Spirit that drove this whole salvation process. And Jesus broke the bread, so let's break the bread every day together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It's a reminder, it's a memorial. What a great reminder of the unquenchable love of God. Let's preach together. The scripture says that when they sung a hymn, they went out. So let's stand together and sing together. Because we serve such a great and mighty God who is so loving and forgiving, who accepts us even with our flaws, but changes us more and conforms more and more to the flaws. Let's pray for them.